It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places. Hello, everybody. You're listening to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm your host today, Carousel Baird. And it is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. We are talking. Oh, well, before I get to our topic, I want to remind you, you are listening to A Public Affair on volunteer-powered listener sponsor community radio WORT 89.9 FM Madison we have a fabulous show lined up today we are going to talk about all things soccer and you might think oh what is my vision of soccer with the vision that popped in your head was it women playing soccer because we're going to talk about all things of women playing soccer right now uh, is the uh, World Cup the women's Soccer World Cup is going on. Have you been watching the games? I have been watching the games. Super fun. My whole family is paying attention. We have the charts up and we're rooting. Of course, everyone's rooting for USA. Um, But we all have our sort of favorite teams. Everyone got excited about the woman playing in the hijab in my family. And then we sort of get excited when underdog teams play different. And my husband lived in Germany and we have some mixed feelings about how Germany's playing. Anyhow, is this happening at your house too i hope it is that you're watching the world cup super exciting super fun and what do we think about the fact that the women are doing such great success the u.s women's soccer team uh won the last two world cups they're every four years um are they going to three-peat it? And the prominence of that, does that make you more excited and knowledgeable about what's going on? Let's let's learn a little bit more. We have two guests joining us today. First, here in the studio, I have Keith T. Meyer. He is the Director of Soccer Operations and Development for Forward Madison. Hello, Keith. Hi, Carousel. How are you? I'm great. Thanks Not so much. Not sleeping much, it sounds like. Uh, I mean, <laughs> trying to. Actually, when I was awake this morning at like 4 a.m., I was like, oh, if I wait one more hour, I can just turn the t- TV on. I'm like, that's Lots of coffee. pathetic. No, I went back to bed. I missed it. I mi- and it, it seemed like an amazing, there was like an upset There were something. a couple today. It's, it's the World Ooh, Cup. Exciting. Um, yeah, it's really fun. And um, I want to tell people a little bit about Keith. He's... Um, he was formerly the assistant coach with the University of Wisconsin Madison men's soccer team. He was there since from 2009, and during your time, uh, you took the team to two NCAA tournaments and a Sweet 16 appearance in 2017. That's pretty fabulous. And you and I were talking before the show. You're a lifelong soccer player and fan. Absolutely, 50 years now. That's impressive. Really impressive, including still currently a soccer player. Well, you got to play with the old fat guys once oh, in a yeah. while. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. That's my speed. I like it. Um, and also joining us today, uh, we have Anna Gorbich. She is a research assistant with the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sports at the University of Minnesota, my alma mater. So yay, University of Minnesota. Hey, Anna, how you doing today? Hi, good. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you. And I'll let people know a little bit more about Anna. She's a doctoral student pursuing her PhD in kinesiology, sports psychology at the University of Minnesota. And you're also, as we said, a research assistant 
with the Tucker Center. And your research interests revolve around the gendering of coach and sport leadership, gender identity and sport participation, and menstruation and sport. Uh, Really fabulous stuff. So, Anna, I'm going to have you kick us off a little bit. Big picture, how's the Women's World Cup going? And particularly, what's the perspective, um, perception of it here in the U.S.? Wow, that is a loaded question. No pun intended with <laughs> kicking this off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this has truly been one of the most, probably one of, if not the most exciting competitive World Cup tournaments that we've seen thus far. And competitive in that, you know, obviously the U.S. women's national team, we expect dominance from them year after year. They've won kind of double repeated or have won the World Cup twice. Um, People are expecting them to win it again this year. But I think what has surprised a lot of people and what has kind of opened people up to, especially in the U.S., to like this global world of women's soccer is the success from all these other teams. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the U.S. um, yesterday, I keep getting my days mixed up now Mm -hmm. that my whole calendar is backwards but um <laughs> yesterday morning 2 a.m uh the u.s tied portugal and the u.s still made it through to the um to knock out rounds but portugal which hasn't typically been seen as a global power in women's soccer although they may be in men's soccer um they've really held it to the u.s and this is a team that hasn't really had too much investment in the past you know few decades uh they performed well at the women's euro tournament last year and really caught the U.S. by surprise. And so the U.S. being, you know, one of the narratives that we see a lot in the World Cup is, of course, equal pay and uh, the U.S. kind of leading the charge for battling for uh, equity and resources. Um, And we're kind of seeing that the U.S. are almost becoming victims of the own solution that they've created, where they've set this precedent for uh, new standards of investment and resources in, in women's sports. And now that teams are getting those resources finally across the world following the U.S.'s example, um, the, the tournament's getting a bit tougher for them. So I think the perception has been really great so far. I, I do think it's um, people are disappointed, of course, in the U.S. not dominating as much as we expect them to. But I think um, I'm certainly excited as um, from like a sociocultural perspective, seeing more and more people being opened up to this global perspective of women's soccer. Well, and I'd love, I want to say some numbers too. Uh, I love how many people worldwide, I mean, soccer is a sport that's getting bigger and bigger in the U.S., but worldwide, soccer is almost the sport. Um, I say this is a little bit of a clueless person on the sport world, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like when you leave the country, you know, football is the conversation that you have. I just We just went um, on vacation in Europe and went to a football game in um, Spain. Of course, that's a soccer game. And it was exciting and thrilling and packed. And the the people in the stands had this level of enthusiasm that I don't usually see even at you know, college football games. So talk to us about how many people worldwide are really paying attention and thinking about soccer and specifically women's soccer versus men's soccer. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm so excited that you guys got to experience some European football. I uh, I did my master's at the University of Stirling in Scotland and Scotland also a, a football crazy country and got to see so many games and it Exciting. truly is a completely different experience. Um, you know, obviously soccer and sport generally is a masculine dominated arena. It's, uh, soccer typically has been a sport that is, 
uh, created by and for men, and we see a lot of men in leadership positions. And um, because of that, historically, we've seen women, of course, not being not receiving the same levels of attention and investment. And I think this, especially in Europe, there was a huge turning point last summer, which when the uh, the Women's Euro tournament happened occurred in England. And uh, previously, we've seen. Um, Women's sports maybe not getting the attention it deserved, especially um, in the media. In the U.S., uh, the data shows us that um, uh, ESPN Sports Center only covers um, for only four four to six percent of coverage is dedicated to women's sports, and so women are not extremely visible in the sports world. But as we're seeing, kind of in these tournaments where FIFA and UEFA and these big sport federations are finally investing in it, and people are actually saying, hey, maybe people are interested in women's sports and people are and it's exciting and we want to watch. And um, there's all these different plot lines and narratives happening that people are becoming invested in. Yeah, um, people are showing up. And so I at the women's Euros bro had um, the Euro final at Wembley Stadium, which is kind of legendary soccer stadium. I was lucky enough to be at the game last year. Exciting. Had over around 90,000 people attend and I think especially from a European perspective, that really opened, um, you know, that area's eyes of women's soccer is worth investing in. And um, the numbers, I think, um, especially given that the time zone differences are so different, are difficult given the tournaments in New Zealand, Australia. Um, I don't know if they've come up with too many numbers yet, but we have seen really high viewership for the U.S. women's game. Um, And it's really dispelling this narrative um, that, you know, you know, there's this common area that people aren't interested in women's sports, and so it's not worth investing in. But how can people be interested if they don't know that it's going on? And so I think we're finally seeing um, so much more visibility across the world, uh, and especially given that so many more um, teams are becoming more successful um, outside of kind of the global North powerhouses that we've typically seen, like Germany and Norway. But we're seeing, you know, Jamaica make it through to the um, to the knockout stages for the first time today, um, South Africa making it through. Um, so hopefully we'll see kind of a groundswell of people across the world um, paying attention to both women's football and men's football. And Keith, I want to pull you in here. What does it mean when we start seeing countries like Jamaica and South Africa that, that usually we haven't seen on, on the international level, just the rise of talent, uh, globally for soccer women specifically but i would think this translate to uh, men and women's you know I, I talk about you mentioned jamaica and on a personal level lauren donaldson is the coach of the team is actually a former teammate of mine and a former coach of mine he coaches at real colorado and denver wow um, i've known lauren for 35 years um so i couldn't be more thrilled for him and for the jamaican women qualifying for the second round they tied brazil this morning last night um uh you guys were just alluding to the investment and the viewership and and what that creates. And it, it, I really do believe the competitive level, the standard, even for a team like Portugal that the U.S. played the other night, that standard's increased because of the investment by clubs over in Europe. It's a different system. It doesn't have the university system like we do here in the States where you go to your high school, you go to your club, you go to your university, you play for a club in the summertime, and there's all these wonderful facilities and coaching and sports man, or sports. Uh, all the sports science that goes with that, the strength and conditioning, the, the sports med, um, all that information and all that stuff is here in the States. It doesn't exist in Europe. You don't have the university system that has all these facilities. You have the club system. And to have 90,000 people at Wembley last year for the Euros, to have 80,000 people in the new camp watching Barcelona women play, um, that creates more competition than all these clubs feel like we have to invest in our women's programs. 
And so now the standard rises, right? And so Portugal's a beneficiary of that. The Spanish women are unbelievable and a fun team to watch the way they play football. Um, And it's the same in countries in Europe that are notoriously or famously big-time men's programs. Um, So to see that investment, to see that competition then increase from each of those programs is fantastic. And that trickles down then to Jamaica. You have an American, he's he's Jamaican by birth, obviously, played for the Jamaican national team, but you have an American coaching that team, so he's he played university soccer in the States. He's been coaching club soccer in the States. He's seen how other countries do this. He's brought that team here to the States more often, more regularly, and that's as simple as things like diet. It's things like regular training routines. It's facilities that they can train in in Miami and in Florida, even in Denver and the competition that they can achieve because they're not getting that in Jamaica, right? So again, you have this better club system in Europe that's developed. You have this club system in the United States that's developed that includes professional teams. And then you have these coaches and these people that can bring that strat- those strategies to their small countries like Jamaica. And then at some point, it perhaps will trickle down and this will be something that you can see in Jamaica because they're seeing the success of what happens when you have you know, more infrastructure to support your team. You certainly hope so. It's interesting because on the men's side, Major League Soccer, uh, the top level here in the United States, has brought in so many Central and South American players and smaller countries in North America, brought that to our league. And it's funny how difficult now it is for the U.S. men to qualify for a World Cup because we've made all those countries better by having a high standard in Major League Soccer, our own domestic league. And that's what I mean, and that's part of what we're seeing. And Anna, you were alluding to that. So, Anna, talk to us about the the importance of women in leadership. That when women lead, um, not just the teams, but behind the teams and the infrastructure, the conversations at at um, you know the World Cup organizations throughout all these countries, what what a difference that makes. Yeah, I love that you asked this question because here at the Tucker Center, we really specialize in this question of why are women not in sport leadership positions? Why are women not in coaching? And I'll do a quick plug that we just released. Um, We do an annual report called the Women in College Coaching Report Card. Great. Um, And we just released it yesterday. So in this report card, we track um, the rate of women coaching NCAA Division I women's sports teams. And so... um, historically uh, before Title IX, and I was thinking of Title IX in um, your answer, Keith, about kind of the difference in soccer culture between, of women's soccer culture between the U.S. and other countries, but we can talk about later on. Um, I digress. And so... It's all good. Yeah, before Title IX, uh, we had about 90% of uh, women's sports teams were coached by women. Title IX happens. um, Finally, we're seeing way more investment in uh, women's sports at the educational level. These positions become more lucrative, they become paid and more powerful, um, and men start taking over those positions. And that's because, like I mentioned earlier, uh, sport is a completely male-dominated arena. Uh, men are viewed stereotypically as kind of the, um, the owners of the sports space historically, and so they're viewed as the people that stereotypically are um, the more agentic, the more uh, people that are more deserving of sport leadership positions. Um, so that number of uh, the rate of women coaches coaching women's sports plunged um, to lower than 40 percent in uh, kind of after the 1970s and when teams started becoming um, more integrated into the NCAA system. And so what we're hoping to do with our report card is track year by year. Um, the rate of women coaches as almost a tool for advocacy for saying women coaches matter and they matter for so many reasons but particularly particularly in that same gender role models matter for athletes um, when we have uh, 
women leaders in sports, women athletes are able to relate to their experiences. They're um, able to feel more seen and, and, uh, uh, and recognized in their sporting roles. Um, we're able to challenge preconceptions and stereotypes of what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a, a, a person in sport um, and kind of begin to destabilize that masculine dominance in the sport world. So this report card, year by year, we set, we put it onto all over social media. So you can find it at Tucker Center on all of our social media channels or on TuckerCenter.org. And, and we use it to, um, as a kind of hold uh, institutions accountable for their decision-making and hiring practices um, and going, hey, school XYZ, you have 20% of your women's teams coached by women. Maybe you want to do something about that. Well, and that's pretty fascinating that it was, you know, when it was, oh, look at the women and girls, they're playing sports, yeah, 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 women, go che- go help your women play those cute little sports. But then mm-hmm. when it got serious after Title IX, um, when it was sort of forced that maybe people at that moment didn't take it seriously, but they were forced, at least on paper, to economically take it as serious as the male uh, sport counterparts. Uh, all of a sudden then they said, oh, well, if this is going to make a lot of money and or this is going to cost us a lot of money, we better get the best of the best, bring in the men. How fascinating. I, I hadn't even thought about that. And what kind of progress have we seen since the 1970s then in getting us back to acknowledging that women deserve um, yeah. high pay for uh, challenging jobs that they are capable of doing? Yeah, so from our data, and um, unfortunately, I don't know like specific global data. Um, there's kind of a huge data gap in kind of understanding the landscape of this globally, but in the NCAA Division One institutions. Um, so for a while, we had this period of kind of stagnation where for about 10 years, um, the number hovered around 40%, where 40% of women's sports teams were coached by women. Um, so a, a couple years ago, we creeped up to 42%, and our most recent report card um, actually jumped a huge amount for us in the research world. It jumped about 2%-ish, um, and now we're at 46%, um, which is really great progress. I know it seems like, you know, small small potatoes, but uh, for us, that's a huge number. And um, I think especially the visibility of women's professional sports, especially at the world, like events like the World Cup, where we're seeing powerful women coaches like Serena Wiegmann at um, the England women's national team, who are who's super successful, um, I think are helping to destigmatize this, um, you know, this issue of gender and sport leadership yeah. and equity. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I, I can't I don't know at the top of my head about the numbers about the World Cup of how many coaches are coached by men versus women. Um, but soccer is typically a sport that's more male dominated. Uh, and but, you know, Jill Ellis has been super successful with the U.S. Women's National Team, winning the past two World Cups with them. And um, it's really exciting to kind of see at the highest, highest levels of elite sport, uh, women's uh, mm-hmm. leaders being really successful and helping to kind of trickle down some change um, at the collegiate level and then hopefully even at recreational levels, um, which is where the majority of athletes play in to show women, no matter you know your background experience, you can coach and you're welcomed in coaching and you're going to make a difference because you know, girls drop out of sport at higher rates than boys do, especially kind of at adolescent age. And women role models and leadership positions are really key players for helping to keep more girls in sport. 
We're talking right now about the Women's World Cup. If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. The phone number is area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. We have uh, Jay Engineering and uh, Shally and, uh, well, I don't know where Shelly is, but Jade is Jade's in the studio with Jade, and they are ready to take your calls. Um, they'll patch you through if you want to join us on the air, or of course you can pass a message on to them, and we're happy to relay your question to our guests. Any way you want to join the conversation sounds good to us. Just give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, I know... As, as Anna was saying all of that, uh, Keith and I are sitting here nodding in the studio. I'm listening. Keith is nodding along. Um, Keith, have you seen more attention um, when it comes to publicity and media and sponsorships um, and an acknowledgement of the role that women play in women athletes, women's soccer, getting to the level that we see in male uh, soccer and male sports? I think it's certainly getting closer, particularly here in the U.S., um, I think you just look at the advertisements that are on television right now. Obviously, the Women's World Cup's going on, so the advertisements are driving towards that. But you have uh, Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback from the Kansas City Chiefs, doing a Subway commercial with, is it Julie Ertz maybe? Or uh, I think it is. Someone uh, from the team. Yeah, 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 one of the women's players. And that's awesome and fantastic. Um, I think it's uh, th- that's obviously a step, isn't it? And um it's interesting, the conversation we were just having about coaches, and one of the things I've always believed about players and I believe about people in any occupation is that you have to live experiences to learn them. And it, it, there's certainly a huge gap in what those experiences are for women players that didn't have a professional league for so long, didn't have the opportunity to continue playing. There's a massive gap in what happens when a woman decides she wants to coach professionally. And we have to stop gap that sometimes. And so maybe a collegiate position is the right place to go for a, for a female coach. But then you have to have administrators who are willing to live and learn with some of that too. You can't just say, well, we're, we're pr- putting you in this position. And by the way, you need to win games. You need to not have parent issues. And you need to not have NCAA violations and things like that. And once you do, see you later, you're out. You have to have some time period in there, some some time for that that participant in that coaching role to learn about their their profession and to develop in that profession. Um, I'm not sure that always happens either. No. And so not only do we the not public's hire not forgiving. Them, no, so not only do we not hire somebody sometimes, but then we're not patient with that person either in that role to really learn their their craft and to develop their craft. And um, I'm I'm disappointed. I, I guess Anna said it. I guess it's progress that there's a six percent increase. I'm disappointed that it's not more than forty six percent of coaches are female. But I also think there needs to be a certain amount of patience to develop that. I look at the U.S. national team, and three of our last six coaches have been female, which is awesome. And you think about uh, uh, Jill Ellis. You think about April Heinrichs was so successful as well. And Pia, is it Sunhaga, I think, is the coach at Australia now, a Swedish woman that um, did a really good job as well. So um, at least we've made progress at the national level. Have we made progress at a youth club level, at a professional club level, and then at a university level? I'm not sure. Anna, where are you seeing uh, women's soccer in the U.S. sort of fit in with everywhere? There's not a lot of women's professional sports as a whole. I mean, I think about women's professional basketball, and that's, right, as someone that doesn't pay attention to the nitty-gritty and all the things that you and Keith do every day, I think, oh, I know the WNBA, I know women's national basketball, and then I sort of stop and go, 
Well, I know Venus and Serena Williams. I I can think of individuals, but that's really the only professional sport I can think of for women. How does soccer and right and preparing for the show? I'm like, oh well, look, there is a professional women's soccer league. I had no yeah. idea. How does this fit? Yes, tell us more. Yeah, so the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, is kind of, is really the premier women's professional soccer league in the world, um, and we're seeing kind of other countries compete with that. Uh, uh, of like the hierarchy of what is considered quote unquote the best or the strongest women's soccer league. So there's the women's super league in England, the WSL um, that we see a lot of players are in. Spain is growing in their uh, women's professional leagues, but the NWSL um, used to be the w, the women's professional soccer uh, WPS. There's been uh, different iterations of it, and there's also kind of a growing movement, which I know Fort Madison's more is involved in, or at least the city of Madison um, in the in the. USL and creating uh, more uh, women's leagues and more opportunities for women to play professional sports. Um, and the NWSL, I mean, that's the exciting thing about the Women's World Cup is that these players are going to come home from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, they're going to do their thing and the public are going to be able to go see them play. Yeah. And um, we're, you're going to be able to, so I grew up um, uh, about 10 minutes away. I'm from the DC area, originally in Maryland. And I grew about 10 minutes away from the Washington Spirit, which is one of the um, NWSL teams. And as a kid, I used to go to their games every single weekend all summer. And that visibility was really core in kind of my development as both like a soccer player, a fan, and today as a scholar. And um, so yeah, the NWSL, they're out there. It's, uh, it's growing exponentially every single year. Um, so you can go see Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman and Ashley Sanchez and all these amazing players in your backyards, really. And um, they've had uh, a lot of growing pains at NWSL over recent years of, you know, making the quality of broadcasting better, of, of improving uh, media attention. Um, and every four years, really, in these World Cup cycles, we see kind of a, a blip where the women's U.S. national team gets so much attention and then... Uh, there's an increase of attention on the NWSL. Um, so hopefully we'll see that again out of this World Cup. And um, it's really been the yeah. most sustainable women's uh, soccer league that we've had historically. Um, and and so, I, I know yeah. we only have you for a few more minutes here. I wanted to ask you one more question, um, yeah. which is I wanted to ask you sort of big picture about women's sports and women athletics and how it feels like it has to have this political aspect to it. You can't mm -hmm. just go and love to play because you're fighting for pay equity. You're fighting for understanding of, right, all these institutions changing and addressing dress issues and menstruation and pregnancy and practicing all these things geared towards women's bodies and women's needs and women's success. And if, can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and the pressure it must have on athletes that just want to go out and play, but there's this sort of political level where they have to be an advocate? Absolutely. Um, and I think you said it exactly right. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, sport is uh, an institution created by and for men. And women and their bodies and their needs and their experiences were never really included in that model. And so women are constantly clashing up against um, what this model provides or doesn't provide. And so as we've seen, I mean, historically, uh, women's sports has always been political. I mean, I'm thinking back to Billie Jean King and Battle mm -hmm. of the Sexes and yep. this advocacy for equal pay. Uh, it's always kind of been an inherent given that if you're a female athlete and you're playing on that highest stage, there's going to be a political aspect to it because you're clashing against these 
dominant masculine systems that aren't made for you. And you're also clashing up against our beliefs about gender and our stereotypes and preconceptions about what does it mean to be a, a man or woman in society. And so, yeah, I mean, there's undoubtedly an immense amount of pressure on um, especially the U.S. Women's National Team. And I think uh, there's a really great documentary on HBO called LFG um, that documents the U.S. Women's National Team's equal pay battle. Mm. And uh, players like Megan Rapinoe and Kristen Press, they are really raw and vulnerable in this documentary about talking about the the pressures that they face of they have they have to go train they being a, a professional athlete it's a 24-hour job right uh they have to make sure they're eating the right things sleeping training the way all these you know a million things that athletes have to worry about but then they also have to be on phone calls with lawyers and um negotiating their cbas and that's a lot of pressure and so women athletes face so many more obstacles than male athletes too and i hope we can get to a point um, where women athletes can just be athletes. They don't have to be advocates unless they want to be. They don't have to be, um, you know, lawyers and, uh, you know, negotiation experts and all that. They can just go out there, be respected for the athletes and paid adequately for the athletes and for the job that they're doing. And so I think we're seeing more and more of that this World Cup about people actually getting what they deserve. But globally, we're still seeing huge uh, disparities in resource allocation, even Jamaica, who, you know, obviously was so successful today in making it to the final um, or into the next knockout round. Um, they've had uh, troubles in the past with their federation about getting paid for their labor. Hmm. And we wouldn't ever uh, tell a male athlete to, um, you Just know, play and not volunteer get paid. their time. Right. Yeah. So, right. Um, yeah. So I think uh, hopefully one day and we're, there's uh, more progress to be made, of course, we can um, keep that standard for all athletes, not just uh, male athletes. Well, and it's been amazing talking with you again, Anna Gorvich, uh, PhD student and research assistant with the Tucker Center for Research on Girls and Women in Sports. Thank you for, you know, talking with us today and all the work that you are doing and that Tucker Center is doing. I will be looking up that report and um, I'm so glad there is the World Cup to trigger this really important conversation we're having, not just about the Women's World Cup, but women athletes. Um, it's been great talking with you, Anna. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I want to, what do I want to say? I want to remind everyone, you are listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. If you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. And Keith, we sort of buried the lead a little bit because this conversation has been about the Women's World Cup, but I want to sort of, you know, segue a little into the amazing thing that's happening here in Madison, which is Madison is going to get a professional women's soccer team. Can't Can wait. <laughs> tell us about that. Well, you know, it's an, exci it's an exciting time, obviously, at the club. We're in the middle of the men's season at Forward Madison. We're halfway through. We've started our youth program, the Forward Futures. Um, but the, the announcement that probably trumps all those things is that we're going to have a women's pro team here in the next couple of years here. Um, and you kind of alluded to it. You talked about the WNBA and your own knowledge that that existed. And did you really know that the NWSL existed or that USL, our league, uh, has a women's league? And um, the, one of the interesting things that comes from Connor Kaloya and Vern Stenman, our ownership, um, there's no professional women's sports franchises in the state of Wisconsin in mm. any sport. And I know that there's been a recent announcement about volleyball as well. Um, and we're going to be right there with that. And um, our organization is going to be one of those kind of, I guess, founding organizations here in the state of Wisconsin. 
United Soccer League is our league. Um, they're hoping they'll, they're hoping that that uh, league will be a first division to match NWSL, and uh, there will be a franchise here in Madison hopefully in the next couple of years. Um, there are some things that need to happen in order for that to occur. Uh, U.S. Soccer, our governing body, has some demands on facilities and staffing and other policies that have to be in existence in order for you to have a first division, top division uh, professional league, male or female. Um, so USL is working with each of their potential franchises on how that'll shape up. And we do need to do some work at Bree Stevens in order from a seating capacity, from permanent structures for suites and hospitality areas to locker rooms, to office space, things like that. Um, and so there's a lot of different discussions that need to happen with local city, uh, county, state, and federal governments because it is a, a historical building and a facility and it's a neat facility. And Bree Stevens. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And uh, so there's a lot of different aspects that have to occur. You can't just say, hey, we're ready to pay the money and get into the league and let's start next year. There's a lot of other things that have to happen, but we're certainly excited about that process. Do we need different infrastructure? So right now we have... Uh, Forward Madison, the men's league, plays there. And we were talking before the show how fabulous it is to go. I, I as a complete sports clueless person, uh, slightly remembering that I played soccer as a, you know, elementary schooler and was horrible at it. I believe I was forward and scored one goal. I, <laughs> it's one more than a lot I, of people. Yeah, well, <laughs> not when you spend two years as forward, but I don't think that speaks very well for our team. But there you go. Um but what a joy. It's so much just fun and excitement and camaraderie and community and all this great stuff to go to the game. So we have this infrastructure. What different things do we need to be a successful city with a women's team? So you're right about the fans and you're right about the environment that happens at the men's games. Our fans are fantastic. And I don't know if it's something cultural here that uh, something about our sport that it's maybe a bit of a counterculture sport. It's not the NFL. It's not the NBA, things like that, the Major League Baseball that somebody's dad watched or whatever. And so it's something new and exciting. It's worldwide. Um, yes. So there is something from that standpoint. There's something about just being outside in Wisconsin right in the summertime. Um, and maybe that's why we have so many fans, but I do think there's a lot of soccer fans and they're so excited about this announcement about the women's program. When you get to specific discussions about what has to happen, again, there's facility enhancements that have to occur. We need a new field. The, the turf is tough and, and it needs to be enhanced and better. Just because you put an artificial surface in doesn't mean it lasts for life. Gotcha. Those fields usually last about 10 years. Um, they get harder and harder and more compressed and more compressed no matter how much work you do on them. So we need a new surface first and foremost. Um, we do need other facility enhancements. Again, things like office space. We moved into the offices in Breeze from Forward Madison staff uh, this past year. We're one year into it, and we're busting at the seams already. We had interns in the office all summer long, and they're sitting at picnic tables and things like that. And mm -hmm. so we're already busting at the seams to have another franchise there. We need to enhance the office space. Obviously, we have a team playing there that uses one locker room. Visiting teams use another locker room downstairs in the old building that are cinder block rooms. They're not the nicest, but they're very serviceable. But to have another team there that's going to be training there on a daily basis and working out of that facility, we're going to need a much nicer locker room facility and things like that. So just from the aspects of what the teams would need, that's where you start. And what the office staff would need, that's where you start. And then there's other enhancements that need to occur as well that probably are part of that as well. Um, to to get up to this Division One affiliation that the league would require of us. How do um, how does Madison me uh, measure up? Um, as you were talking about the the fans and and loving the games, how do we measure up as a 
you know, a city that, I mean, a city of our size that we even have the men's team. I, I wouldn't be shocked if you said, well, we don't really qualify for a men's team. We're only, you know, 300 some odd thousand people. Um, but here we have a men's team that is thriving. What what are the numbers that you're seeing? Right. So what I know is that uh, Forward Madison, we play in the third division of U.S. soccer. Major League Soccer is Division One. Our league, the United Soccer League, has the USL Championship, which is one level above us, and we play in USL League One. So we're in the third division. Um, when you think about what's ahead of us in the championship and what's... Well, first of all, we have more attendance than anybody else in USL League One. It's not even close. Really? Um, yes. Yeah, so our ownership group comes closest to breaking even compared to other teams in our league. It's not even close. Um, what we do attendance-wise, what we do apparel-wise, what we do corporate partnership-wise, in a lot of ways, we're the model franchise for this USL League One. Again, that's the third level. In a lot of ways, we're actually the model franchise for even a level above us, the second division, which is USL Championship. When you think about attendance, when you think about corporate partnerships, and you think about apparel, we're right there at the top of that level. We're certainly not MLS, which are in cities like Minneapolis, Chicago, New York, LA. We're not that. And you're right, we're a 300-person town. But we're drawing almost 5,000 people a night. We had our second largest crowd the other night. I want to believe it was 4870, somewhere in that area, almost 5,000 people, which is basically a full house for us. Um, and it's it's massive. It, it's Again, you, you talked about it, you and I talked about it before the show, how energetic it is in the stadium, how passionate people are about being outside, about maybe it's drinking a beer, about watching soccer, how yeah. cool that is. And they're wearing the jerseys. I spoke to, uh, earlier in the weekend. We, had, we actually hosted the uh, high school boys and girls all-state games on Saturday as well. And Fun. I went and spoke to the athletes and the coaches on Friday afternoon when they had their practice. And I always say I, I'd never thought there'd be a day in my lifetime that the four-year-old kid would wear an international soccer jersey, but so would the 65-year-old guy. And I also didn't know they made him in triple XL, and there's no <laughs> way that guy ever played our sport. But um, it's pretty matter. neat that it's a style thing, too, not Even just a I fandom thing. There you go. We Even all can. I. And that's the thing about our sport. It's for everybody, by the way. It doesn't matter how big, tall, short, fast, speed, you know, slow, whatever you are, you can play our sport. And I want you touched a little bit about the different tiers uh, uh, for the men's team. And the... Uh, women's team that's coming and maybe in 2025 mm -hmm. um, is 2025 or 2026 there's less women's uh, teams out there so therefore do we it, it seems to be the women's team that comes is going to be of a higher tier or how does that work do we even think it might be more um, competitive in the sense that there's not as many places for these women to go, so they're all going to be fighting to be on this team. That's certainly the competition. You hope that's the case, right? And um, uh, NWSL is the current professional league that exists in the United States, um, and that's a, a technically a first division league based on U.S. soccer standards. Um, the United Soccer League, which again is our league that we would be going into, is going to try and get first division standard or accreditation for their top women's league as well. And that's the league that we're going to go in. And so effectively the two leagues would compete against each other outside of the field um, from marketing, from awareness, all these different things for players. And so again, that's the reason why you have to enhance the stadium because U.S. soccer puts these demands on facilities, on the administration of the league, the administration of the team, US, USL, United Soccer Leagues, has decided that's the approach they want. And in Madison, town of 300,000 people, we've decided that's what we want to do as well. One of the big differences is, and one of the exciting things in one breath is, to get a franchise in NWSL right now, that's going for about $55 million. 
And that's a pretty big barrier to entry in a town of 3,000 people or 300,000 people mm-hmm. with a stadium capacity of 5,000. USL, that barrier to entry, that, that investment, initial investment just to get a franchise is obviously going to be significantly lower than that. That's, a, that's where Madison fits in. That's where this league fits in and still can be a first division league, hopefully. And in Madison, one of the smallest cities uh, that is going to be hosting a future uh, women USL team? The answer is yes, with a couple caveats to that. And that is Maybe that you have, yeah, you have this USL championship that already exists. Um, on the men's side, and you have this USL League One, which we're a part of with Forward Madison that already exists. And it's those franchises, it's those organizations that are looking to put teams into this new league. Gotcha. So you could have more like-kind cities. In our league currently, on the men's side, we have Omaha, we have Charlotte that are bigger markets. Um, we have Raleigh-Durham, which is a larger market. But we also have Chattanooga and Knoxville and Lexington and cities like that. Um, Fresno, California. Um, Spokane's coming so in. Madison fits right in. We kind of fit there somewhere somehow until it's time to book the travel, right? But uh, um, and this <laughs> women's league would have similar ownership groups in similar cities um, that already have these franchises. We have a question. Um, Eric uh, passed on a question to our team. He asks: When male coaches coach women's teams, are they pinholed into only coaching women's teams? Do they become women coaches? Uh, I mean, or are there coaches that go from women's games to men's games, and maybe vice versa? Um, just sort of want to get your whole big Boy, that's picture. That's a great question. There's yeah. a lot there, isn't there? Well, when you're starting to, yeah. you know, form the leadership of this future women's team. Is there hesitation from people, or do they see it as the launching ground to success as a sure. male team? Where does it fit in the hierarchy? I, I think particular to here at Forward Madison, I, I know that our ownership group has addressed that the general manager and the head coach would be females. Um, and you think about where you would find those uh, candidates from, the pool of candidates. They could be international. They could be from the professional ranks already here in the United States because there are some females that are coaching at that level. And then obviously there's a fair number of uh, women coaches in the NCAA, and we have a great one here in Madison with Paula Wilkins at UW. Um, But there's a lot of women out there that they're really doing a fantastic job coaching their team. So that's where I think our pool of candidates would come from. It's an interesting question and a much deeper discussion. Maybe more for Anna, to be honest with you, when we were talking earlier about um, women coaches, men coaches. I know on a personal level, I made a decision when I left college, when I stopped playing at a higher level, knew I wanted to get into coaching. I made a conscious decision. I did coach uh, females for a while. I coached at the high school level. I coached at the club level. Um, But I made a conscious decision to move forward on the men's side through the collegiate, through the university system as a coach. Um, I do have friends of mine that stayed on the women's side. I do have friends of mine that stayed on the men's side. I do think maybe you do get maybe a little bit pigeonholed that you either coach men or you either coach women. But part of it is what I was saying earlier as well is that it takes time for you to hone your craft. And if you've got the right administrators around you or the right club directors around you, they help you in that process. And so once you're three, four, five years into coaching a men's team or a women's team, you're probably going to stay in that route for most of the time. It doesn't always happen. Um, the men's coach in, uh, for Canada right now, uh, Herdsman, did coach, is it John Herdman, um, did coach the women's team and actually moved from the women's national team to the men's national team. Interesting. Um, it's pretty rare, though. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if it goes the other way right. from the men's team to the women's team. I think team. we're getting closer to that, by the way. Yeah. I mean, 
I think maybe not from a national team direction. to a national team, yeah, but maybe from a national team to a professional team. Or right. Certainly on the university side, we had a, a female who's now the women's coach at the University of Denver, but was at the uh, University of Chicago this past year in Division Three, won the national championship on the men's side. That's exciting. Uh, I want to remind everyone that you can join our conversation. Have you been to a forward Madison game? Have you been watching the World Cup? We'd love to hear from you at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, when I was sort of thinking about all the benefits that we have here in Madison, Madison really feels like a soccer Kind of feels like a soccer city. town. I mean, I have two teenagers now, and when they were younger, everyone played soccer, and it had it had this level. We were talking before the show about so competitive. The seventy sixers and the teams here. Th- there's this level of intensity for soccer that I don't see at other sports for kids. Well, certainly from a participation standpoint, it's a great sport for kids, right? When you talk about healthy lifestyles, and when you and I talked about this before the show, and just a lifelong sport. Yeah. Uh, basketball, hockey are examples, but soccer is certainly one of the examples you that you can play anywhere. forever, and you can play you can play with just one person in a ball. You can play a full 11 versus 11 game with a ball. Um, you can play to a tree. You can play to real goals. Um, so you can kind of you can make our sport work for you from a participation point of view. I was amazed when I fa- first came here. I think it was 14 years ago. I had, had a young son at the time. He's going to be a junior in college. He's playing at university now. And um, I remember going to Kiva across town to watch yeah. him play indoors. And it was a Friday afternoon. And they had the little kids playing on the little court there. And um, that was at like 4.30. And at 5.30, all of a sudden, it was like it was date night. But it was the night of the uh, co-ed leagues. And the number of people that were there that are boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, friends, things like that, that are playing in a co-ed league because it's a participation thing. And soccer is a part of that participation thing. It's really a neat thing here in Madison. So from a participation standpoint, it's fantastic. I already talked about the fans at Forward Games. It's unbelievable. Being at the university for the last few years, the attendance at our men's and women's games has increased over the last couple years. And by the way, when you think about the Women's World Cup right now, Rose Lavelle, who's such an important part of the U.S. women's team, played at the University of Wisconsin. So um, fantastic player, by the way. Unfortunately, she's going to miss the next game because of a yellow card suspension, but played for Paula Wilkins and Tim Rosenfeld, the coaches over at UW, and had a terrific career collegiately and led them to pretty high standards at UW. So... There's a lot of soccer going on in town. I just talked about the All-State games. Obviously, there's high school soccer. We have some of the top boys teams, some of the top girls teams in the entire country here in Wisconsin. Oregon High School here the last couple of years on the women's side has been just outstanding. Um, so we have a lot going on from a participation point, but also a fandom point of view. It's really exciting to sort of hear all the you know, big national and international connections to us here in Madison and Wisconsin. We got a lot of them. We got a lot of them. It's really great. I want to talk a little bit about Breeze Stevens. Tell me the value, if there is one, to the fact that Breeze Stevens is downtown. It matters so much. It's interesting with Major League Soccer on the men's side. These owners that are putting... In, in the men's side, $500 million to invest in a major league soccer team now is what it's costing to get in. Um, they're actually not making an investment necessarily in soccer. They're making a real estate investment in the stadium and the surrounding area. And major league soccer has decided that every new stadium has to be in downtown areas, wherever these are around the country. And so you see these unbelievable facilities 
soccer stadiums, with hotels, with shopping centers, with restaurants, with bars, um, with apartments and things like that, these multi-use facilities that are being built. Well, we already have that here in Madison. When I, yes. I, I said I came here 14, 15 years ago, and I remember flying into Milwaukee to see if I, and then they had a car for me, and I drove it over to UW to see if I wanted the job, and I remember coming down East Wash kind of thinking to myself, I was coming from Denver, like, what am I doing here? And then you see the campus, you see uh, the Capitol Square and all that, and you're kind of like, man, this is pretty neat here. But the buildings that have been built down there, the apartment buildings, the restaurants, the bars, the, the night spots that exist now around the stadium, and you have this old historic stadium right downtown that's able to be used for our sport right now and a lot of other things too, right, yeah. with concerts and football, high school sports, things like that. Um, it's it's just fantastic. It is a vib- vibrant place to be. Um, we all know there's some characters in town, and some of them are soccer fans, and it's a neat place to be. Well, and it's, I mean, this is a business, right? We care about women succeeding, and we care about the sports, but it, it only works when it, it succeeds financially as a business, and there's so much infrastructure there to make it, you know, and... Events. I'm trying to think of the right word. When you when we went to the forward game, right? We also go out to dinner. We also do all these things, and and it's it's part of sort of a night out on the town. Not just we're going to the forward game. It's we're going out 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 tonight in Madison and all of these things. And, and you can walk and you can ride a bike. Yeah, you, know, you can do both of those things. We have a bike. Uh, uh, we'll we'll store your bike for you during the game. I talk about this a lot with Big Top Sports Entertainment, which is kind of our parent company. We have Ford Madison and the Madison Mallards and. Um, with Connor and Vern, I talk about it all the time that these guys are a quality of life organization for our city, for our county, and for this region of Wisconsin. And when you think about the baseball games at Warner Park with the Mallards, I don't even know how many there are a year. It seems like they're playing every night. You think about the soccer games with Forward Madison, and then you think about the lease agreement that they have on Bree Stevens with the city and the concerts that occur there. This really is a quality of life organization for yeah. our area. And it's one of the things that's very neat about working for this company and living in this town. I actually got to go to the concert the other night to go see Jason Mraz. I'm not a huge Jason Mraz fan, by the way. He was really good. Um, great voice, fantastic band. Um, it, it really is a neat thing. I'm seeing Brandy Carlisle there. Right on. I think in a couple of weeks, I'm really excited. <laughs> and and I saw her before in Milwaukee, but I'm more excited about seeing her at Bree Stevens because I'm like, wait, I get to really be super close it's now. It's such an intimate venue, you, you isn't can't, it? <laughs> yeah, you can't get a bad seat in the venue. It's awesome. Um, so in our final minutes here, mm-hmm. what's next? What should people are listening here? I mean, after today's conversation, it's like, yes, that's it. I'm ready. Let's go to a women's soccer game. <laughs> okay, well, hold on a second. So... How can people that are listening follow what's happening? How can we support it? What can we do? Well, it's a neat, like I said earlier, it's a neat time to be a soccer fan in the United States. And um, we have leagues like on the men's side with Major League Soccer, with the USL Championship, and us here at Ford Madison, USL League One in the middle of our seasons right now. You look at who's come to play in the league re- recently. You have Lionel Messi coming to Miami. He's the top player in the world, one of the mm. probably most well-known players. Um, it's insane how they've put this deal together. It's insane what that's done from a fandom standpoint of who's going to games and all I that. I even know who it's that crazy. is, there and you go. I know nothing. <laughs> Gotta you, get you a jersey. You mentioned, you mentioned some football player in some TV ad, and I was like, I think I know that name, maybe. Little Messi's different, huh? I know that name, because we watched the World Cup. There you go, and you combine that with a Women's World Cup going on right now. 
and the women's professional league is play, is going on right now as well. And so as soon as this World Cup's over, that league will resume play. And there's a team down in Chicago, and there's games on television. So you can watch the World Cup team play right now. We'll see what happens. What is it, Sunday night against Sweden? Yes. Um, hopefully the team gets better and better and better as each game goes along, and hopefully they have more games after Sunday night. Um, hopefully Rose will be able to get back on the field after uh, sitting her suspension on Sunday night. Um, but again, there's a league going on, and then hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to have a team here in Madison. Not only the men's team, but we're going to have a women's team moving forward. And the other part is remember that it's the fall season right now at the university and at the high school level. So at the high school level, the boys' season's going on, but at the university level, the men and women will be playing. And I know the men start practice. I think in the next couple of days, the women started practice yesterday. So Paula and her crew will be playing out at uh, at U Bay at the stadium out there. And you can climbing. go to those games. You can They're go to those games. I think fun. they're free actually. To be honest with you, I, I think they don't charge anymore. And trying to remember, it's a high standard of football. It really is. It's a high standard, and Paula does such a great job. And uh, and they've been really, really successful. It wasn't just Rose. It's been other players that have played there that have done so well. All right, and I, I was gonna say it was nice to talk to you, but now I want one more question because yep. you just said it was a high standard of football. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you called it football instead of soccer. Is that ever gonna happen? In the U.S., the, we're going to be ready. Are people going to understand? Do people know what you're saying when you said it's a high standard? Soccer of football? fans know. Football we fans know. know. The football people know. know. I get in trouble with the guys at the bar sometimes when I say it that <laughs> way. <laughs> I mean, right here's the. Uh, I won't even ask the stupid question. I'm not sure if it's a stupid question or not. I no should have prepped you before the show. Oh, did Did Ted Lasso help? You know, that's an interesting one. Ted Lasso. Okay. First of all, I do watch Ted Lasso with my wife. It's something that makes me laugh. We watch I it. do take some offense, though, because there are sometimes people say, well, you know, I watch Ted Lasso. That makes me a soccer fan. It's kind of like, no, it's, it's a television show. It's a show. human interest story, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a really cool story. Um, so I, I struggle with that a little bit. So did it help? Yeah, probably. Um, well, it maybe brings awareness to the sport, right? Yes, yes. If someone and, now says I'm a soccer fan, even if they're wrong, they yep. never would have said that sentence before. Right. On a professional yep. level, I think it's probably holding some male coaches back, by the way, of getting jobs in England and in Europe. I, that's a whole other hour story. That hour is an interesting conversation. <laughs> well, it's been fabulous talking with you. Again, uh, Keith Tiemeyer, uh, Director of Soccer Operations and Development for Forward Madison. Thank you so much for joining us today and breaking down the World Cup and the exciting news that the women's team is coming here in Madison. We can't wait. Carousel, thanks so much. Appreciate you having us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our show today. We will see you again next week. Have a great day, everyone. You are listening again to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We come and listen and support it. We come and never be reported with information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream media.